we can climb Mount Everest, and submarines can go down 35,000 feet into the depths of the sea. Though exploration has never been easier, there are still unreached places, peoples, even plants and animals. Animal and plant species go extinct every day, but scientists make daily discoveries as well. Some researchers have recently discovered 380 new species in a remote part of the world that is largely inaccessible to humans. These animals and plants were discovered along the Mekong River between Laos and Thailand, which contains miles upon miles of mountainous terrain. One of the discoveries was the Khoi's mossy frog, a frog that looks like you guessed it, moss. This frog's appearance allows it to blend with the environment, which makes looking for food easier. Our knowledge of creation is still limited, but Genesis tells us that God created all animal and plant life according to their kind. Creation sings of God's power. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, where we share the great news and the great story that's all about Jesus. And on this Tuesday, we're continuing a series called The Gospel in Narnia. Yesterday, we heard from Dr. Alistair McGrath, who provided insight into the life of C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. If you missed that program, I encourage you to visit our website after today's program, and you can listen to it online. In a moment, we're going to look at some of the secrets of how Narnia was created and why C.S. Lewis felt compelled to write about it several books later, after The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Here's how Lewis's stepson, Doug Gresham, explained to me the reason for the book. The Magician's Nephew was originally published in 1955. Though it was the sixth book of the seven to be written, it is really the first book of the world of Narnia. Here, Jack Lewis explores not only themes of creation, beauty, and hope, but of corruption, betrayal, and ultimately, forgiveness. So if you're tempted to think that these stories are for children only, then you're sadly mistaken. Jack observed that as an adult, he enjoyed so-called children's stories better than he did as a child. He said he was able to put more into them, and as a result, he got more out of them. The stepson of C.S. Lewis, Doug Gresham, giving a little insight on the focus on the family's radio theater production of the Chronicles of Narnia. Stick around. In a moment, we're going to hear a couple of scenes from The Magician's Nephew. And then after the program, I'd like to send you this 19-CD set in a collector's tin that will provide you and your family or others you know hours of joy-filled entertainment. C.S. Lewis wrote these books with Christian themes. So it's a great way to start conversations with kids and adults about the great story that's all about Jesus. As you listen, I believe these stories will resonate with your faith in Christ and bring you joy. For your minimum gift, I want to send you the special edition collector's tin that includes the audio production of all seven of the Narnia books, nearly 22 hours. We'll send it to you as our thanks for your gift to the ministry. Our number to call in a few minutes is 800-654-2836. 800-654-2836. 
Or you can go to our website, haventoday.org, haventoday.org. Now, I want to go to England for our opening song. Stuart Townen leads us with a song I really like from his ultimate collection. Creation sings the Father's song. He calls the sun to wake the dawn and run the course of day till evening falls in crimson rays. His fingerprints and flakes of snow His breath upon the spinning globe He charts the eagle's flight Commands the newborn baby's cry Stand and sing Hallelujah Fill the earth with songs of worship Tell the wonders of creation's King. Creation gazed upon His face The ageless one Stuart Townen with his Creation Sings 
here on Haven Today and the Gospel of Narnia. And I'm Charles Morris. And in a moment, we're going to hear a scene from The Magician's Nephew. But first, I want us to go back to the beginning. Not just to the beginning of Narnia, but to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. In 1961, in a letter to a young reader named Anne, Lewis explained the biblical themes that show up in the Narnia series. He said that the magician's nephew tells the story of creation and how evil entered Narnia. This book is the first book in the series, but as we heard a few minutes ago from Douglas Gresham, it wasn't the first Narnia book that Lewis wrote. It was number six of seven. It was a prequel, going back before the story, and explains some of the burning questions that readers had, things like, where did Narnia come from? Who is Aslan? What about the wardrobe? In a similar way, the creation account in Genesis is a prequel. Genesis. It's part of the books of Moses, the Pentateuch. It was given to the nation Israel in its early days. The backstory of creation and God's people had been handed down orally. But now it hit the shelves, as some might say, written down as part of God's holy word. And like any good prequel, it recorded the answers to important questions for this new nation set apart by God. Questions like, is God, capital G, greater than the gods, little g, of the surrounding nations? Where did sin come from? And is there a way to find redemption from sin? The very first verses of the Bible set the stage for all that follows. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. So the first thing we learn in the prequel of Genesis, God created everything all things. Many of us know that story by heart. There's a beauty to it. I think Lewis captured the beauty of the creation so well in The Magician's Nephew. First a song is heard in the pitch black of the new world, and then light begins to fill the sky, and there's this darkness fading as the new sun appears on the horizon. It is the lion Aslan, singing the world into existence. It's Lewis's very poetic way of describing the power and glory of the Creator. But one of the most exciting moments in the creation of Narnia, I think, is the creation of the animals. In a few minutes, Diggory came to the edge of the wood, and there he stopped. The lion was singing still. But now the song had once more changed. Can you imagine a stretch of grassy land bubbling like water in a pot? For that is really the best description of what was happening to the countryside. In all directions, it was swelling into humps. They were of very different sizes, some no bigger than molehills, some as big as wheelbarrows, two the size of cottages. And the humps moved and swelled till they burst. And the crumbled earth poured out of them, and from each hump there came out an animal. The moles came out, just as you might see a mole come out anywhere in our world. The dogs came out, barking the moment their heads were free, and struggling as you've seen them do when they're getting through a narrow hole in a hedge. The stags were the strangest to watch. Of course, the antlers came up a long time before the rest of them. 
So at first, Diggory thought they were trees. The frogs, who all came up to the river, went straight into it with a plop, plop, and a loud croaking. The panthers, leopards, and things of that sort sat down at once to wash the loose earth off their hindquarters, and then stood up against the trees to sharpen their front claws. Showers of birds came out of the trees, butterflies fluttered, bees got to work on the flowers as if they hadn't a second to lose. But the greatest moment of all was when the biggest hump broke like a small earthquake and out came the sloping back, the large, wise head and the four baggy-trousered legs of an elephant. And now you could hardly hear the song of the lion. There was so much cawing, cooing, crowing, braying, neighing, baying, barking, lowing, bleating and trumpeting. The cabbage horse strawberry brushed past Diggory and joined the chorus. Cabbie stayed with Diggory, Polly and Uncle Andrew, watching the scene before them. Though they could no longer hear the lion, they could see it. It was so big and so bright that they could not take their eyes off it. From the magician's nephew, Narnia, awake here on Haven today. And back to the Bible. As for the young nation Israel reading This Genesis prequel of history, the account of creation, is a powerful statement about the greatness of a covenant God over all the false gods of the nations. Unlike the creation stories of surrounding nations, only the true account, the biblical account, shows God as speaking everything into existence as effortlessly as the lion's song in the story by Lewis. Throughout Genesis 1, The words are repeated almost like a musical refrain, and God said, and it was so. Lewis also captured another truth we learn in the early chapters of Genesis into this beautiful, exciting new creation that God called good. Sin entered the world through one man. Not everything in Lewis's stories is an exact parallel with Scripture, He used a lot of imagination to retell his story. Going back to that letter from a young reader, Lewis said the whole Narnian story is about Christ. That is to say, I asked myself, supposing that there really was a world like Narnia, and supposing it had, like our world, gone wrong, and supposing Christ wanted to go into that world and save that world, what might have happened? In the scriptures, we know that the devil snuck into the garden, and he tried to thwart the goodness of God's new creation. And by the time Adam and Eve disobey God by eating the forbidden fruit, it seems he was successful. Paul the Apostle summarized what happened in Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way came to all people, because all sinned. But there is good news. It's the last thing I want us to look at together in Genesis. The good news is that redemption would be provided by the Creator. C.S. Lewis hints at this when Aslan interrogates Diggory on how the evil came to Narnia in the first place, and much like the first time the gospel was announced in Genesis 3.15, 
Aslan pulls the curtain back just enough for rays of hope to shine through to us. This is the boy. This is the boy who did it. Oh, dear. What have I done now? Son of Adam, there is an evil witch abroad in my new land of Narnia. Tell these good beasts how she came here. I... I brought her, Aslan. For what purpose? I wanted to get her out of my own world, back into her own. I thought I was taking her back to her own place. How came she to be in your world, son of Adam? By... By magic. It was my uncle, you see. He sent us out of our own world by magic rings. At least I had to go, because... He sent Polly first, and then we met the witch in a place called Charn, and she just held on to us when... You met the witch. She woke up. I mean, I woke her. Because I wanted to know what would happen if I struck a bell. Polly didn't want to. It wasn't her fault. I... I fought her. I know I shouldn't have. I think... I was a bit enchanted by the writing under the bell. Do you? No. I see now I wasn't. I was only pretending. You see, friends, that before the new clean world I gave you is seven hours old, a force of evil has already entered it, waked and brought hither by this son of Adam. But do not be cast down. Evil will come of that evil, but it is still a long way off, and I will see to it that the worst falls upon myself. In the meantime, let us take such order that for many hundred years yet, this shall be a merry land in a merry world. And as Adam's race has done harm, Adam's race shall help to heal it. The magician's nephew, here on Haven today, we see a familiar theme in Diggory's response, don't we? He tries to justify himself. He's a blame shifter just like Adam and Eve, and just like we continue to be today. Whenever we're confronted with our sins, we often try to find a scapegoat, someone else to be responsible, but we'll never be ready to grasp the gospel until we grasp the fact that we are to blame and we need grace from the Lord. I will see to it that the worst falls on myself. That's a stunning statement by Aslan, Narnia's creator, that points to the true creator, Jesus Christ, who is also the Redeemer by his sacrifice on the cross. The devil may have thought he won, but in a wonderful twist of grace that he never expected, the gospel was first announced to the serpent. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. The cross was just a snake bite on the heel for Christ, but for the enemy, it was the decisive blow. 
This was good news for the young nation Israel. As they received God's law that revealed his will and their inability to live it out, it's good news for us. Because from that nation came the Messiah, the Creator, who is also the Redeemer of all who trust in him. I want to invite you to know this Redeemer and to turn to him by faith for forgiveness today. The same Jesus who created heaven and earth will make you a new creation. You only need to believe. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and This is Haven Today, and I'm Charles Morris here on Tuesday, a series called The Gospel in Narnia, and that was Anthony Evans with wonderful, merciful Savior. And I hope you've been encouraged hearing some of the excerpts from this well-produced radio drama of the Chronicles of Narnia. Many have read these stories as a child, only to be shocked 
as they read them to their children to see how much of the gospel is hidden in Lewis's rich allegory. And I know you'll be blessed in the same way when you listen to Focus on the Family's radio theater production of the Chronicles of Narnia. It's really fun to listen to. This series was recorded in London with cinema quality sound and an all-star cast of actors. You'll see the action play out in your mind, but you'll feel the gospel truths resonate with your faith as you listen. And so many people have been getting in touch with us last week to get their copy of this 19-disc set, nearly 22 hours of entertainment. There's Diana in Idaho, Adam in Pennsylvania, and Suzanne who's in Alberta, Canada. They've all gone above and beyond the minimum gift, and I'm so thankful for their support. Your generosity helps us continue to share the great story on both where you live as well as to millions of listeners around the world. Why don't you call us right now? The number to call is 800-654-2836. 2836. Or go online and listen to samples from this wonderful production and then make your minimal or above and beyond gift on our website at haventoday.org. Haventoday.org. And would you pray about becoming a Haven partner with us? Somebody who prays regularly and gives automatically monthly to help us keep sharing Christ Jesus with others. Ask about that when you call or read about it when you go online. I'm Charles Morris. Thank you so much for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow? When again, we'll be sharing together the great story, the story that's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus. I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. It's hard to be told you're wrong, but sometimes that's exactly what we need to hear or exactly what we need to say. Ephesians 4.15 urges us to speak the truth in love, growing in every way to be more like Christ. As followers of Jesus, it's our responsibility to speak the truth to those around us but it comes seasoned with grace, love, and compassion. We should seek to build others up, not tear them down. We must also be open to receiving truth from others and be willing to grow and change. As we continue to grow in our relationship with Christ, we become more like Him. Our words and actions reflect His love and grace. Spend more time with Jesus. Visit GetAnchor.com.